Hey there, Pioneers, and welcome to episode number 304. Today's episode is really a fun one. I think you're going to enjoy it. We are going to be going over foolproof methods that you need to build into your garden because when the hard times come with gardening or the overwhelm begins to set in, and as much as I love gardening, there are definitely times of the year when sometimes I get a little bit overwhelmed and I may ask myself, why am I putting in all of this work? Now, I always come back and center to my why. I absolutely know why I'm doing all of this work. And if you have been gardening for any amount of time, or especially I should say, if you have been gardening for an amount of time for a while, you know this is true too, that there's always those times when you're kind of like, is this really worth it? And we know it absolutely is worth it, but we all have those times. So today's episode is really great because there's some ways that you can build in kind of full proofing yourself, setting yourself up so that when that garden overwhelm happens, you have got some things in place that will quickly set you right back one into being in love with your garden and loving the gardening process and also getting you right back in there and out of the overwhelm. We actually have some other fun things, too, where we're going to be talking about that's kind of sets off the entire episode and we get into that right in the beginning. But then we've also got some things where we're talking about greenhouses and growing in a high tunnel and a greenhouse and some different things like that, that I think you're really going to enjoy. So basically, if you are a gardener, if you want to be a gardener, you are a gardener and you have a gardener's heart, you're going to love this episode, which is sponsored by ButcherBox. And you might be like, wait a minute, you just did a 180 there. Well, I love gardening, and that definitely takes care of a lot of our fresh produce needs with our fruits and vegetables. But if you're a gardener, you know the difference between when you have a homegrown vine-ripened tomato and you bite into that one. You know it's not been sprayed with any pesticides. It doesn't have any synthetic fertilizer on it. It's been allowed to fully ripen on the vine, so it is a flavor like none other that you never get from the grocery store. Even when it says vine ripen from the grocery store, you know there is no comparing that heirloom, beautifully grown, vine ripened, homegrown tomato in comparison to a store-bought variety. Like, there just isn't. Well, I want you to have that same experience with your meat, with all of your food. And if you're not at a place yet where you're able to raise all of your own livestock and be self-sufficient with your meat needs, or you don't have a local farmer that is meeting those needs, then ButcherBox is a great alternative. ButcherBox reached out to me and asked if they could send me some of their meat. And at first I was kind of like, well, uh, like we, we raise all of our own meat. Like I really, I really don't need any. But then I'm like, I actually, they have seafood. And the only seafood that we provide for ourselves is crab. We have a little 17-foot ski boat that we go crabbing in. Yes, you can really close to the bay. Like, I can always see shore. You can do it. And we also have salmon. We're really fortunate with my husband's work. He gets a salmon bonus, which is wild-caught salmon. But aside from that, we don't really purchase any seafood. And they have seafood option, all wild and ethically caught. I actually am not a huge seafood fan, except I like halibut probably because it really doesn't taste like fish, if I'm being honest. But my husband is a seafood aficionado, like he adores seafood. So I got him some of the wild caught lobster. Now, why am I sharing all of this with you? Well, because one, as I said, they sponsored this episode. But really, 
I had them send me, they sent me some packages. I wanted to taste test their grass-fed, organic, grass-finished beef. Grass-fed and grass-finished is really important to me because you can, technically, companies can put grass-fed on their beef, but they will feed them grain at the end. So you want to make sure it says grass-fed and grass-finished. Uh, they also have free-range, true free-range organic chicken, heritage-bred pork, and it's all sourced from partners and farmers who believe in doing things the right way and the ethical way. And that's a really big deal to me. I also wanted to see how their 100% grass-fed, grass-finished beef was compared to ours. So I tested out their hamburger and their steaks. The steaks were excellent. The steaks were the, the same as ours. Like could tell no difference as far as tenderness and texture, flavor, excellent. The ground beef was interesting. Their ground beef was very good. However, it wasn't quite as bright red as ours. It was still a very beautiful, nice color. Not like you get from the store. You know what I'm talking about. It wasn't quite as red as ours, if I'm, get, if I'm being honest, which I am. And theirs was leaner than ours, which I don't mean that as a pro or a con, but it was leaner than ours. It didn't have quite as much liquid when I was cooking it, which is, like I said, it's not a pro or a con. Uh, but flavor-wise, it was very, very good. I really didn't tell any difference as far as flavor goes. And the really cool thing is using butcherbox.com forward slash pioneering today, you can get a three pounds of chicken breast, two pounds of pork chops and two pounds of ground beef for free for a limited time for new members. So it's called the free essential bundles and it's with your first box. And if you use butcherbox.com forward slash pioneering today, then you'll get added to your first box that three pounds of the chicken breast, two pounds of pork chops and two pounds of ground beef, which I actually tried some of their chicken. They sent me a, a package of their chicken breasts last night and made a coconut Thai chicken for myself and the family, which is one of our absolute favorite recipes. Again, very, very good, high quality, extremely tender, tender, was very, very impressed with the meat. So if you need a meat source, to go along with all of your wonderful vegetables and fruit, highly recommend taking advantage of that deal. But now let us get back to this awesome episode with Jess, Jessica Sowards from Roots and Refuge. And Jess is a native Arkansan, hopefully I said that right, who is homesteading, gardening and sharing her journey through social media. She and her husband, Jeremiah, are raising their six children on a small hobby farm in the central Arkansas region, which if you are already a fan of Jess and their YouTube channel, Roots and Refuge, then you know that they just announced that they are moving from their small hobby farm to a new farm in another state. So a really fun journey to watch unfold. And it has now been announced to the public because I actually got to chat with Jess a little bit about that. Uh, when we were recording this episode. But now that it's announced to the public, I can actually say that. So without further ado, let's get straight to this episode. I am so excited for today's interview. So Jessica, or if I'm following in YouTube fashion, but it feels so <laughs> forward of me to call you Jess, welcome <laughs> to the Pioneering Today podcast. Thank you so much. And it's funny that you should say that, you know, my whole family called me Jess growing up, but that was really just like a very intimate name. And same with Maya. I think my, myself and his mother were the only people who called him that. But then we turned a camera on in our private world and just became Jess and Maya to the whole world. And now, of course, that's completely 
like normal and I introduced myself that way, but it's funny. Like that nickname wasn't wasn't always just a public thing, but now it's just kind of become who we are, which is really cool. It is very funny. One of the things too that I noticed about your YouTube channel is how and I know this could maybe sound odd, but how intimate it does feel. Like it really does feel that we're right there in the garden with you, that we're amidst your family. Like I know your dog's name is Bear (laughs) and my dog's name is Bo. I'm like, what is up with us and our dog name starting with B? But yeah, and so it's been um, actually really, really cool. And I have to say, I feel like that's probably one of the aspects as to why, I mean, obviously you have good content because it, it doesn't matter, you know, how intimate and how welcome you make people feel if what you're sharing is not, you know, helpful to them. Um, so obviously all of your gardening tips are very, very helpful, but I feel like that's one of the reasons I love to watch your guys's videos too, is because I feel like, oh, this is like my garden and BFF Jess, even though she doesn't know me. <laughs> well, thank you so much. It's always been my desire to kind of create a place at the table is how, how I put it. Um, because I have been extremely blessed in my life to have a a marriage where I have such a friendship in my marriage and uh, family and, and, you know, a handful of really great close friends. And I recognize because of seasons in my life that I didn't have that, that a lot of people really desire to have a heart connection and community. And so it's the reason why my vlogs just start. There's no intro. And there's, there are some things that, that, are, are very intentional because I, I really want people to feel like they just popped in uh, to spend some time with people who love them and receive them in their home. Well, I think you do a really good job of that. And I think that's something that the world is very hungry for, even before COVID pandemic, but especially mm-hmm. during that and even this season, I guess we're technically still in it. Mm-hmm. Though some places are opening up more than others, but I feel like there's a real hunger for that. And so I think it's really fabulous that you've been able to create a space like that with the gardening and the homesteading aspect uh, as well with livestock and all of that stuff. So (laughs) yeah. So I'm really excited actually, though, to talk to you today about gardening, um, because we're moving into that season and it's very near and dear uh, to my heart. And one of the things I think that I noticed right off the bat, honestly, even in your thumbnails on YouTube. And I know guys, I'm referencing YouTube a lot, but that's that's how I first became aware of Jess and, and everything. And you always, especially with your thumbnails, but even in your videos, you always seem to exude a lot of <laughs> joy around gardening. And I love that because I have to be honest, like I have really focused, I mean, we've been growing a garden for 21 plus years and focused on always increasing our food production to where, the level that we're at now, which is a you know over 70% of our fresh fruits and vegetables and also preserved wise come from yeah. our garden. So I was working almost full time though, sometimes two jobs actually while still doing that. And so my focus was very heavy on production, like getting them mm-hmm. plants and getting them to harvest, getting them preserved, all of that. And I didn't really have the time or even the intent. And of course, I do think a vegetable garden is beautiful, but creating spaces of beauty mm-hmm. and creating it to be a spot where it was also a respite, that it doesn't, wasn't just work focused, even though it was work that I enjoyed. And that was something that you really brought forward when I was going through your book. And I was actually reading it last night before our interview. So I wanted to kind of go back there because it's something that I have been slowly 
working on doing. And I feel like the past few years, I've made a lot of headway on creating aspects of beauty, but I would love for you to dive into that and then talk some practicality on creating that space. Yeah, it's, I didn't realize whenever I started what an important message that this was going to be because it was something that really did come very naturally to me. Um, I've always been very um, inspired by beautiful spaces. Like whenever I remember even being a really young woman, a teenager, and I always wanted to put artistic aspects up in my bedroom or whenever I got older and had an office, I needed the space, not necessarily to be, I wasn't always worried about the function of it, but rather the inspiration and the beauty. And that sort of carried over into the garden. Um, as, as an artistic person that carried over the other thing. And I mean, just to speak freely here, and I don't always write this stuff out, but it is a big factor for me. But, um, I remember a moment that I had in, in prayer where I thought, you know, some people paint as worship and some people dance and some people sing and, um, people play instruments. And I thought, well, surely we could grow a garden that way also, because I think anything that we create, we're doing it as image bearers as of a creator. And so we have this aspect of creating something beautiful and kind of giving it back. And, and I, there have been so many little factors like that, that have gone into it. The other big thing, uh, in full transparency, I am a completely reformed lazy girl. Um, I just, I grew up in a neighborhood. I grew up just a very typical uh, suburban American middle-class life. And I did not play a lot of sports. I was kind of a sick kid. And so I didn't have the opportunity to really physically work my body a lot. And I just didn't. And I, I had kids young and I had a pretty sedentary life. And when I really had this great desire to grow food, I ran into what you, I mean, you said it's a ton of work. It's hard and it stretches you. And I kind of thought, how can I stick with this? And the solution was, well, you've always done well anywhere else that was a beautiful and inspiring space. And that's in, in applying that is really where I found the aspect like, oh, this can be worship. Like this can be something that I can do as an expression And it sort of morphed into this mentality and this thing that I teach people that the best medicine for your garden is the the presence of the gardener. And so make it a place that you want to be because I throw my hands up and quit gardening. I don't know, like probably 10 times a season, especially in July, I quit it every day in July. I'm like, this is bad. I don't like this. Like, I mean, I do it. I'm committed, but I'm like, oh, this stinks, but I can't stop going to the garden. I love it. It's my favorite place to be in literally the entire world. And I've been a lot of places. My garden is my favorite place to be because when I go there and I see all the beautiful aspects and the interesting plants and I, and the love that was put into that place, that's where I want to be. And so I I take my coffee there. I make intentional times for rest there uh, throughout the season. So I'm, when I show up there, it's not just to work. And a lot of times I throw my hands up at the work, but I still go back for the cup of coffee in the morning. And while I'm there, the next thing I know, I'm pulling this weed and tying up this plant. And you just can't help yourself when you're in a space that you love, but to take care of it. Okay. I just have to say, I am so happy that you said that you quit everything. (laughs) Because I'm like, sometimes I'm like, I'm like the same way. I'm like, this is hard. I don't want to do it today. And I'm like, (sighs) how? I'm like, how can I say that? Like, I do love it. Like, I really do love it. And I 
preach, you know, raising yeah. your own food and I teach it, but there are moments where it does feel overwhelming. And for our growing season, cause I think we're, I'm a, I'm more North than you obviously. And so mm-hmm. I, it, that for me, it hits in August. So mm-hmm. I know what you're saying. I'm like, yeah, there's this time when it feels like everything is on in like this jungle, which is good. Cause that means everything's growing really mm-hmm. awesomely, but it, it's just like, feels like this overwhelm can set in. But I love where you said like, yeah, it happens every day and you just keep trucking. Cause yeah. I feel like that's what you do is in all aspects for me of homesteading. I mean, there's nights where I got to tell you by golly, I do not want to cook dinner from scratch that night. I've yeah. already done it for breakfast and I've done it for lunch and I'm just done, but mm-hmm. it has to be done. And so we go forth and do it. So I love though, that you have found ways to help you get over that wanting to quit spot and by cultivating that with beauty. So what are some of the ways, um, for those who haven't seen your garden, you know, via the YouTube channel, mm-hmm. what are some of the ways that you like to incorporate beauty? You know, is it just by selecting, you know, like beautiful flowers that possibly are companion plants or maybe just for beauty, or is it other elements that you're bringing in? Or is it just picking like really cool heirloom varieties that are both edible, but are really cool to look at or kind of what, a, what's your protocol, so to speak? <laughs> to, to those questions, I say yes. <laughs> like, <it's> like <laughs> all those things. Um, well, the first thing, really how I got into heirloom gardening was that, that exhaustion of the heat of the summer. And I have this particular memory where I had just been slaving over a row of squash plants and picking off all the bugs and, and working so hard on my garden. And I went into the grocery store and there was yellow squash. Naturally, it's in season. And it was like 79 cents a pound. Now, I know that homegrown tastes better. It is better. It's better for you. It's better for the earth. All of those things. But the squash in that store looked an awful lot like the squash I was working for. And I thought, <laughs> I just spent my whole morning protecting th- $3 worth of squash. You know, like what in the world yes. am I doing with my life right now? It's so... That is where I really took the leap into heirlooms because it helps me to know if I don't show up, I will never get to experience that. There's no safety net of, well, if this fails, you can go get the exact same thing at the store. It's you can't have it. You you cannot go buy a purple potato or a, a purple tomato and a streaked eggplant or a purple potato for that matter. But you can't go buy those things at the grocery store at all like those heirloom tomatoes maybe a few varieties you can get but nowhere near the array that's available you look at seed catalogs and it does not compare to what's on the grocery store shelves and that's a motivator for me and it does lend itself to that beautiful space uh it's it's investing in interest it's investing in something that will motivate you also structure and the garden um i use cattle panels and make arched trellises that that hang food over the walkways, you know, you walk under them. It's very fairy tale. And uh, I, I garden in raised beds and in the ground. So I don't feel like either one of those is really necessary to create a beautiful space. I really love both of them, but hanging decorations, you know, put up all the wind chimes and buy the funny little garden flag that makes you laugh or make, have your kids. I remember one year, my kids painted a bunch of rocks and we set them on the just around the garden on the outside. We did a thing, and we still do this, where we have a lot of rocks and we have paint pens. And when people come in, like big river rocks, uh, not ones that I'm going to have to, you know, fool around with once they're in my garden beds, but like big river rocks. And I have people write their prayers on the rocks with their paint pens and just go set them somewhere that I'm going to come across it while I'm working. Um, 
and I can just pr- pray over their prayers while I'm working and just different things like that, like things that are beyond just the production, because you know this as well as anybody who's gardened for very long. There are, are factors that are 100% outside of your control. There is no fail-proof gardening method. It's just, it doesn't exist. You're going to fail. And there are going to be times that you lose the harvest, even if you are a good gardener with lots of experience that shows up, you know, something can happen that you lose the harvest. And so if your only motivator is the harvest, of course, you are going to have very unmotivated seasons. So for me, it's about putting those, those beautiful things and those engaging things in that bring the motivation when, when otherwise it might not be there. Oh yeah. I love that. And with the heirloom, that is so true. I mean, you know, we've been doing an all heirloom garden for well over a decade now, but like you said, when you know, when you know that you cannot get that variety anywhere else, unless Mm -hmm. you're growing it, it is a huge motivator. And I feel the same way about tomatoes. I mean, I, so I don't have a greenhouse. We do have a high tunnel where I raise my tomatoes, but like right now, in the court, I'm not kidding. In the corner of my living room, <laughs> I have two little grow lights and I've got over 30 tomato starts under those grow lights because if I don't start those from seed, one, I can't grow them here because of our shorter growing season. But mm-hmm. secondly, I can't even find those varieties as starts if I wanted to go buy tomato starts from a nursery and not start them from seed. So, yeah. you know, I have to say there's times where I'm like, I really don't want to have, you know, all of these dirt and trays literally. <laughs> where my kitchen meets my living room. Yeah. <laughs> if, if I don't have them there for eight weeks, then I'm not going to have these tomato varieties. And so it, it is a really big motivator. And so I love that you're talking about picking varieties like that. Um, I think that's fabulous to kind of build in your motivation yeah. instead of just trying to find it from this external source because it will go away. And yes, like the failures in a garden, I still have failures on things every single year. And mm-hmm. my husband, and I have been growing a garden for 21 plus years. It It happens. But I don't know about you, but I find, and I think this is true for all of life, but even with gardening, like I learn so much from the failures. So it's not that I want them, but I'm like, at least there's a silver lining because I know I'm going to fail. And when I do, I know I'm going to learn a really valuable lesson. Absolutely. 100%. I tell people all the time, harvest the wisdom out of every season that you put your hand to the garden, because if you don't, if you don't make it a pass fail thing, like, oh, I failed, it's over, I'm bad, let me internalize this and make it about who I am as a person. Like, if you just go ahead and take that off the table in the front end and say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to grow as a gardener rather than I'm just going to grow a garden and get some food, but I'm going to grow as a gardener. Those failures all of a sudden, when you, like you said, they're valuable. Those are valuable lessons that are going to grow you as a gardener just as much, if not more in some cases than success does. And so harvesting that and moving forward, it, it, you just kind of insulate yourself where you just, you're expecting it. You make room for it, you make the most of it, and then it makes you even more determined to move forward rather than discouraged. Yes. And I wanted to, cause I mentioned my tomato starts in greenhouse and that I grow in a high tunnel. So I don't use any type of, of heat source. And I know you have a, a high tunnel, but you guys also have a greenhouse. And mm-hmm. so I would love to talk a little bit about greenhouse growing just because I don't have experience in it. And I always like to learn from my guests. I, I <laughs> like the show is definitely for my listeners, but it's also my learning module as well. Um, so with the greenhouse, um, now I'm pretty sure you could obviously correct me if I'm wrong, but did you guys, did you build your greenhouse or did you guys order it as a kit? We built it. My husband is very handy and he actually collected old windows 
and he didn't really make a plan for it. He sort of just was winging it. And it's amazing because he can do stuff like that. But it is it's a 10 by 12. Um, and it's primarily made of reclaimed materials almost entirely, except for the wind or the roof panels. It has those plastic greenhouse roof panels. Okay. But yeah, and, and he just built it over the course of about a month and a half working on it, you know, here and there. And it's got a gravel floor. Now, I live in Arkansas, and so it's hot. And so my greenhouse is primarily unheated. It's not necessary to heat it because it gets warm enough and sunny enough in the days. And with adding the gravel floor, which retains a lot of heat mm -hmm. and the slope of the roof and all that stuff, it actually stays pretty warm in there. When we had our, we had our like record breaking cold this winter, it was colder than it had been in a, like a couple hundred years. And it was like negative five outside Fahrenheit, negative 20 Celsius. And in, in my greenhouse, it was like 30, two degrees wow. uh, in the greenhouse. Yeah. Wow. And there was with no additional heat, but just because it had been a sunny day. Um, so yeah, that is wild. It's just, it does really well, but I do keep a heater out there, especially if it's full of frost tender things right now, my tomato, I start a lot of, I start a lot of seeds because I do have the greenhouse, but tomatoes and eggplants and peppers, and they're all waiting to be transplanted right now. They'll be put in next week. And and I keep a heater out there. So if we do get a, like a freak late frost, it's going to be cold enough that there's a, a little bit of risk. I want to kick that on and make sure that it's going to be safe. Yeah. So do you just, do, is it, um, is it something where you're running an extension cord for the heater or do you actually have a power source like wired into the greenhouse? Um, yeah, he ran power down there and then we have a, we just have a faucet in it so that I can water things in it. But yes, we do have, we do have power down there. And I run a fan all the time to keep my, my starts from being leggy and weak. And then I have my heater out there and, and that's mostly, I've got some pretty little lights that are hanging out there. <laughs> gotta keep it, gotta keep it inspired. But, uh, it, it is, it's really, it's really great. It extends the season. It gives space. Um, it gives me kind of my little refuge place. I, it, it helps me during those off seasons. Cause I can grow, I can grow like lettuce greens and stuff like that in the greenhouse all winter um, because I'm able to keep it warm enough in there just with the sunlight, which is really, really nice. It's, it has, it is my favorite thing to do in the winter is just sit in my greenhouse puttering over seats. And stuff. I think, yes, every gardener, um, like seed catalogs. I mean, they're like our, our eye candy, right? Like I can yes. honestly really care less about shoes. Like I don't, I don't know. And if you love fashion magazines, please don't be offended by this. <laughs> I don't have fashion magazines. I could care no. less, but man, bring me the seed catalogs and I just will sit and drool for hours, just thumbing through them, like daydreaming. So yes, get you over, over the seed part. So with the gravel floor, which I love that that retains heat, mm -hmm. but that would, I'm assuming primarily your greenhouse, like you said, is mainly then for just seed starting or growing things in small containers, not yes. like having beds that are growing year round yeah. inside it. I don't grow year round in it. My, it gets so hot in there because Arkansas is, is hot. And in the summer, I have to keep the door open to the greenhouse, but even still it's pretty, pretty common with the door open for it to be like 130 degrees oh, in wow. there because it's okay. so hot. Now, there are products that you can use where you can paint them on like shade cloths and stuff like that to bring greenhouses down to usability in the South in the summer. 
but I have a high tunnel. And so usually in the summer, the greenhouse is out of commission. Um, about September, like late September, when it starts cooling off a little bit, um, I'll, I'll go ahead and start using it again and I'll get some seeds started in there. I use soil bags, uh, just a bag of potting soil and lay it on its side and cut the top of it off, just like make a big opening on the top. And I'll plant salad greens in those soil bags, poke holes in the bottom of them, obviously on the underside. And I'll set those on the greenhouse shelves and just sow the salad greens directly into the soil bag. And we harvest fresh salad out of the greenhouse all winter that way. And of course it's, it's out of the rain and the elements. So they stay really clean. Um, and so you just have to come in and water them right there in the bags, which is, I keep that going all winter. And then I usually about mid December, I go in and start a bunch of brassicas to plant out into the high tunnel around February. And then in February is when I start all of my warm weather stuff in the greenhouse. Okay. Well, and that makes perfect sense. And I think one of the things that I'm, that I hear from you and it is really key is, is to work with what your weather and environment does, because honestly, like there would be no point for you trying to grow in your greenhouse during the summer because your outdoor environment is conducive. Like there's no need for it. So why make that extra work of trying to shade things and, and create this false environment when the outdoor environment is just fine. Um, so I, yeah. And I love, I love the idea of the gravel floor though, because so my brain is already going, I'm like, (laughs) if I could have like a little seed potting shed like that or greenhouse, not shed Mm -hmm. house with the gravel floor like that, even making it smaller, just so I didn't have to start all of the starts in the living room. Then I'm like, Ooh, I could do like double. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Doing now. Um, so I'm actually, uh, I'm kind of excited about that. I'm like, going to have to start planting a little bug in it. (laughs) it's granite french drain gravel is what we use on the floor of we have two greenhouses one we don't really use a lot anymore but granite french drain gravel and it holds so much heat and it's also nice because it doesn't get muddy in there and you can water and it just runs down through the gravel which is nice yeah i really i'm really intrigued um by that and excited to to go do some investigating and and (laughs) my husband a couple of examples to see if he's like yeah we could do that or he's like no you have to wait (laughs) You know, I think for every gardener and homesteader, there's always like a mile long list and then you just adjust those priorities. But uh, yeah, I love that. So then um, with having like the heat source, do you have it set with like, do you, are you the timer? Like, and you're just like the temperatures are. So you just go and turn it on when it, you obviously you can tell like, oh, it's going to be cold enough. We need to turn it on. It's not like any type of automatic system that kicks on if a certain temperature fits or something. You can get those kind of thermostats and temperatures or uh, systems, but I am, I guess, just a glutton for punishment. I don't know why I don't <laughs> do things easier sometimes. I because I right now, I mean, I'm constantly checking the the forecast. I mean, I guess that's a gardener's thing. I check the forecast yes. only five times a day throughout this time of year, especially. But yeah, I mean, I just do it. I, I vent it when I need to and turn it on and turn it off. And I'm down there so much anyway that it's, I don't ever feel bothered by it, but you could automate it if you wanted to. Okay. And then curious about and probably because you're not growing, you know, it's mainly for starts. And then in the winter, it's the lettuce, mm-hmm. which doesn't have as much, but any type of humidity control that needs to be addressed or that just stays pretty good with the watering system that, that when you're watering. That would probably be more of an issue if you lived in a really dry place. Um, the gravel helps with that because when you're watering, basically that ground underneath, because it's just gravel on top of 
there's a weed barrier, but then soil underneath there. Okay. And so that's going to maintain moisture and that does lend to the humidity in, in there. You can definitely feel how humid it is after you've watered uh, and it stays down in that gravel, which is nice. That helps. But I live in an extremely humid place. I mean, year round, it stays pretty humid and that it, I don't have to worry very much about that. So I haven't done very many precautions to make sure that's right. I have noticed when I start seeds in my house in our basement where we run a dehumidifier, I struggle a lot more with seeds getting like caught in their seed caps and different things like that. And that never happens outside because it is humid enough. Okay. Awesome. Um, well, I am just thrilled to be able to sit and chat with you. And one of the features that we normally have on the podcast at the end is where I will do a verse of the week. And I was actually really excited to have you on because I, with being a Christian and I've shared this with my listeners, they'll be very, very familiar with this. It's just authentically a part of who I am. Mm -hmm. And so I just naturally, you know, find things coming out and sharing that um, without it being something that I am, you know, I'm not trying to force anybody. You can't force anybody. Like you cannot force your your relationship or your beliefs on anybody else. It has to be something that that someone comes to on their own if they ever choose to do so. <clears throat> but the reason I, I share all of that is because one, I would love for you to do our feature of the verse of the week, which yeah. is how we round out and, and wrap up every episode. But um, you were talking about the prayer walks and how your garden is, you know, a testament and something that you're giving back as a, as a thing of worship actually to the Lord, if, if you are of a, of a Christian belief and believe in God and giving that back to Jesus. And I have found, even when I say I don't necessarily like to do all of the work in the garden, and there are times when I'm like, okay, you know, I'm ready to give up, but then you go out and do it anyways, um, is I spend a lot of time reflecting and praying, especially when I'm weeding. And I'm always trying to new methods on weed control to make my weeding time less. But there's <laughs> always still weeding that has to be done regardless. And I have always found that I tend to weed out issues within my mm -hmm. prayer life where God brings areas that need to be weeded in my life to mind when I'm physically weeding. And I feel that there is a spiritual element to the garden, regardless of, of your religious beliefs. And I think a lot of people feel that too, even if they they don't, you know, particularly share our same uh, belief system. But there's something about being out in the garden that is a spiritual or can be a spiritual experience. Um, and I think that's oftentimes something that we don't even think of when we're thinking of the benefits of having a garden. So yeah. I'm glad that we that we highlighted that. But I would also love to open the door and have you share a, a verse of the week or anything that you know the Lord's just put on your heart that you would like to share with others. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so glad to get to share this. As soon as you asked me, you know, when we were getting ready to start the podcast, it was immediately this came to mind because we were just discussing this. I was with my children um, and we were discussing Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and minds through Christ Jesus. And I was talking about this with my kids and I was explaining to them that this scripture doesn't say, make your request known to God and immediately he will do it. And that will give you relief from your anxiety. It is genuinely just the telling of our requests to him. And in that knowing the, the greatness of his love for us and the presence that he has in our everyday life. And the fact that he is a father that cares enough to even hear our requests and our anxiety, 
that it's that that actually eases the anxiety. And as the anxiety is eased, we are then positioned in our hearts to receive what he would have for us as the answers of those prayers. Because sometimes we ask for things from the Lord and the answer is not right away, darling, it's wait three years, you know, like sometimes we, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know what I mean? And, and he's, it's not the fulfillment of our request that brings us peace. It's the fact that he's listening to them. And I was explaining this to my children um, just a little while ago, we're in such a season of transition right now. We're getting ready to move to a, a larger farm property and we're, we're changing a lot of things we're going to start from scratch. And that is, um, it's a, it's a leap of faith in all the best ways, but it is costly. And I've really exercised the knowledge of this scripture in this season of knowing that anxiety pops up occasionally, you know, it tries to make, get a foothold in our heart because we can't see the outcome, but it's not the outcome that eases anxiety. It's the knowledge that he is with us during the process. And as the outcome comes, it, can, it, will, it will come with praise and it will come with celebration. And we'll be so thankful when the outcome happens. But in the meantime, we're anxious for nothing because he's here with us and listening to the things we have to say. Oh, yes. And I think that's so needed, not even just in these times, but all the time. So yeah. thank you so much for sharing that. And uh, two, I mean, I know we've talked a lot about your YouTube channel because yeah, yeah. that's, that's, that's where I, you know, came across to and have gotten to, to know you via, via that mode, but you also have your fabulous new book. And so yeah. if there's for people who want to dive further in and see a lot of what we've been talking about um, and that type of thing, where's, is it your YouTube channel or where's the best place for people to really connect with you? Yeah. So we have our YouTube channel. It's called Roots and Refuge Farm. Um, I'm actually not a great, so like, I don't have all the social media platforms. <laughs> I'm not one of the, I, don't, I really don't. I'm really not great at social media, but I have YouTube and I have Instagram also same name, Roots and Refuge Farm. And, uh, we, sh we just share our daily life in both of those things. We do a lot of how to's, a lot of inspiration, and just, it's that seat at the table that we so want to offer to people. And then I did just release my first book. Um, it's called the first time gardener growing vegetables by Jessica Sowards. And it is just that. I mean, it is a guide for the first time gardener. It's that encouragement, a uh, little pep talk cheerleader in your corner. And again, it's just like, hey, let's sit down together over a cup of coffee and let's talk gardening. And of course, there's a lot of information and charts and teaching and, and foundational stuff, but also the encouragement that I find is just genuinely required to make the commitment to grow as a gardener. Awesome. And guys, we'll also have in the show notes in the blog post that accompanies this episode, I'll, I'll have links to Jess's book and her Instagram and YouTube too, but you're obviously more than welcome to, to search if you're already on your phone and want to go and jump on there and follow her there. Um, thank you so much for coming on today. And I actually have one last request and it's totally for me, but I'm super curious. Are you trying like any new, like really cool varieties or any new things in the garden this year that you're just like super stoked about? And if not anything new, like your absolute favorite, like, oh my gosh, if you guys just grow this one thing or do this one thing, this is it. Oh, well, I am the new thing that I'm doing is a lot of determinate tomatoes. I'm not growing very many of those and I'm doing a lot of those in the high tunnel. And there's one it's called, um, sunrise and it's a yellow with a pink splash. And I'm just really excited about that one. Ooh. I'm excited to see it. And the plants are already so stocky and cute and different than the rest of them. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I'm like really anticipating <laughs> that. Uh, so I think that would probably be. And then of course the, the Paul Robeson, I think is probably one of my favorite tomatoes. If you've never grown that one, that is a great tomato. And I'm already anticipating my first date with Paul in the garden this, this summer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, I love this. So, how, okay, I have to ask, cause I tend to be a gardener. Like I get my favorite and I'm stuck there. Like I'm like, yeah. Nope, I found it. Um, but I'm trying to make myself branch out and try new, you know, new things or to grow mm-hmm. something new every year. So this is actually, believe it or not, I kind of sound silly saying this, but this is the first year I've ever grown celery. I have never grown celery before. I don't know why it's not difficult. I've just yeah. never grown celery before. So this is my new year to grow celery. Um, but I'm also trying, and it, probably a lot of people are going to laugh because it's not like anything exotic, but I am branching out on my paste tomatoes because I do a ton of canning and I normally grow mm-hmm. San Marzano Lungo is my main Italian mm-hmm. heirloom paste tomato, but I'm trying the Amish paste this year mm-hmm. just to see and evaluate how I like it. Um, so with the Paul tomato, because I'm not familiar with that one at all, mm-hmm. is it just like a table eating? Is it a paste? Is it a cherry a grape? Like it, what? Paul Robeson, it is a, it's like a purple kind of greenish, dark shouldered medium, mm-hmm. probably eight to 10 ounce on average. I've had some get a little bit bigger than that. So typically like a table tomato, but I have roasted it and canned them roasted before and, you know, just let some of the liquid run off in the oven and then you have a little more to can without the the juices, but it's mm-hmm. so good. It's that dark purple, real dusky, like smoky flavor, real Ooh. umami rich. It's very, very good tomato. Okay. I like it. I'm, I'm taking notes. I'm going to have to get <laughs> some seed with that one for next. I'm yeah. too late this year. I'm yeah. too late. I won't be able to get it, but for next year. And where's your, um, is it one that's just kind of common or do you have a specific seed source that you get that one from? Paul Robeson's available at a lot of places. I know that Baker okay. Creek has it. Hudson Valley has it uh, just off the top of my head. I'm pretty sure Emma Gardner has it. It's pretty common. Okay. Awesome. Well, that's one um, that I, I'm going to, I'll try next year. Um, yeah. It sounds so delicious. I'm like, oh, <laughs> and now I'm, I'm, I'm fiending now for like a fresh oh, tomato, which me I'm too. <laughs> months, and months away from it being on the vine. But sometimes I just will go by and brush the tomato plants because they're literally right like next to my kitchen. I'll just run my hand over the starts and it just gives you smell them. <laughs> yes. And I'm like, oh, little, I miss this. A little sniff and chew. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, exactly. Okay. See, I was, it's so nice to be among gardening peeps. I don't sound weird. There's other people that understand this. I'm like, yeah, t- I totally sniff, <laughs> sniff my tomato plants and salivate too. No worries. You're not alone. <laughs> okay, good. I'm not totally weird. Well, I probably am weird, but it, I like to say We're weird that together. In the best so way. Yes. In the best way. Awesome. Well, Jess, thank you so much for coming on. I thank so you. enjoyed um, our chat there and I know listeners did too. So thank you. Thank you. I hope that you enjoyed this episode as much as I did and you're feeling like you definitely had a seat at the table with Jess and I and are inspired to incorporate some of these things into your own garden this year and just to renew your love of gardening if it needed to be renewed at all. You can get all of today's links and resources and we'll have photos that we referenced from today's episode at the blog post that accompanies this grab that at melissaknorris.com forward slash 304, just the number 304, because this is episode 304, melissaknorris.com forward slash 304 
for all of the links and different resources and things we have mentioned. I want to thank you so much for joining me for this episode. I always feel like my podcast listeners, like we have a special relationship. And I know it sounds odd for me to say that because at the moment I'm just talking into a microphone, but getting your guys' feedback, reading your reviews, the emails and the messages that you send me and the stories that you share with me, I know that we are kindred spirits and it just warms my heart to know that there are other people who have the same values and wants and dreams and are even as weird as Jess and I who will smell their tomato starts because they are so hungry for the growing of plants. So it's really good to have your people and I thank you so much for being with me on this journey. And next week's episode, oh my friend, you are in for another treat. You are really going to enjoy next week's episode. So blessings and mason jars until we meet next week. Mm -hmm.